Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Outstanding. What a wonderful time of worship this has been. Mark chapter 4. We are in a, a series of sermons, and we've, we've called it, Who's Your One? And, and listen, that's, that's, not, that's not our name. This has been a convention-wide effort across the Southern Baptist Convention that we be encouraged, every single one of us, to answer the call of Christ. And so you've heard me say it already, but I'm going to say it again. This is not a program that, well, if we'll just write it out five or six weeks, then they'll move on to something else. Folks, this is the call of Christ upon us. And here's the call, that we would commit to pray for a person and share the gospel with them. That's it. In essence, that we would take hold of the great commission that Christ has given every single follower and that we would obey it. Pray for one person and share the gospel with them. And so we've been having a visual representation of that over these weeks. A white ping pong ball is what we've asked you to do to go out door number one or door number 11. And as a matter of fact, again, at the invitation today, if you have not done so, we invite you during the invitation to go do that, to make a visual representation. Lord, there is one person that you have laid on my heart for whom I will pray and with whom I will share the gospel. Right there initial on that ping pong ball, we're making a display out here because we want folks to see that there are many. As a matter of fact, at, at this morning, we were just shy of 900. Now, we'll get an update on that at the end of the service. But we're at just shy of 900 of our folks who have made the commitment to pray for one person and share the gospel with them. To God be the glory. And we have had almost 200 gospel conversations that have taken place during this time. Again, to God be the glory. And so if you have not done so, boy, I, in my heart, my goal has been that we would have a thousand of our folks that would make the commitment to pray for one person and share the gospel with them. When you've had the opportunity to have a gospel conversation, whether it's with that person or anyone, we have a blue ping pong ball to represent that. And so again, let me invite you, be a part of answering God's call upon your life. I want to open this morning's sermon. And so everyone, I want you to understand, this is the introduction to the sermon, what we're about to do. I want you to hear Tommy's testimony. And it's because the whole issue of the parable that we're talking about this morning is how God is, can take something that is so seemingly small and in, insignificant and yet do something huge with it. And so I want you to hear Tommy's testimony. And it is in preparation for getting us ready for seeking the Lord's will concerning calling Tommy as our minister to senior adults. But let me give him this opportunity now. Tommy, you come. And I want him to share his testimony. Please listen prayerfully to this part of the sermon. Hi, church. I am so grateful and thankful and happy to be here this morning and for this opportunity. And so for just a few moments, I want to talk to you about uh, my story. Uh, most of you know me in this room, but if you don't, there's an insert in your bulletin. It's got my name and my picture on it. Uh, I'm Tommy. I'm 29 years old, and I've been in South Oklahoma City my whole life. Uh, my parents were never really involved in church. 
There were times when they would go. There were times off and on when they would uh, attend Sunday morning worship, but it was never consistent, uh, and, and it, was, it was a rarity in my home. But in spite of that, I never remember a time when I wasn't in church. I was always there on Sundays. I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for revival, for prayer meetings. Uh, And most of that, all of it actually, is because uh, there were people who were faithful uh, to pick me up and take me to church. Sometimes that was a neighbor. Sometimes it was a part of a bus ministry uh, of a church here in the metro area. Uh, But I always remember being in church. And so when I was seven years old, I was at Midway Baptist Church, and the preacher talked about hell. And as a seven-year-old boy, I knew that wasn't a place that I wanted to go. And so I began to talk with Brother Lampkin. He was a senior adult man in that church. Uh, He was a family friend. And so Brother Lampkin sat down with me, and he opened the Word of God, and he began to share with me the plan of salvation. Uh, He taught me uh, that I was a sinner. And he showed me in Scripture that's, that's the truth. Uh, and, and, and for those of you who know me, you know that maybe I have a tendency sometimes to be a smart aleck. Uh, and so Brother Lampkin didn't have a difficult time convincing me that I was a sinner. And so he did that. Uh, I began a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was baptized uh, a week later. Uh, and, and the cool thing about my testimony, the thing that I love the most... Uh, it, it's really cool and it's really awesome that God saved me, uh, but the part that amazes me is the process of sanctification in my life. And, and, and if you're saved, there's also this process of sanctification that takes place in your own life. And that's simply the process where God makes you look more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and in my own life, in my own story, in my own testimony, uh, God used a number of people to do that. Uh, many of them were senior adults. Uh, I remember growing up at Independence Avenue Baptist Church, a very small independent Baptist church, uh, and senior adults there uh, took me in and made sure that I had what I needed. They encouraged me, they challenged me, they taught me, they rebuked me several times, uh, and And I remember several of those senior adults. Uh, Brother Miller was the guy who would pick me up every week. If Brother Miller couldn't do it, his wife Dorothy would come and pick me up. And Brother Miller made sure that I was there for Sunday school. I was there for Sunday evening worship. I was there for men's prayer meeting. Uh, And in that men's prayer meeting is where I learned how to pray. I sat in this circle, uh, a young boy with a bunch of older men, uh, and listening to them pray every week for the needs of our community, for the needs of the church, I learned to pray by listening to those senior adult men. Brother Ollie would make sure that I was picked up for every revival service uh, unless I was grounded. And in my home, uh, that's how my parents punished me. They would let me go to church. Uh, And so other than that, Brother Miller was picking me up every service. There was a senior adult man in our church. His name was Brother Gillum. He was the founder of the church. He started it. He was in his 90s. I sat by Brother Gillum every service. He saved me a seat next to him in the back of the auditorium. And I could go on and on talking about these different people at Independence who invested in me. I could talk about the McFarlands. I could talk about the Fosters. I could talk about the Ballards. Uh, and, and when I came to Southern Hills in 2006, that process continued. Uh, I came as a ninth grader. My first friends at Southern Hills weren't Uh, ninth graders. They weren't kids in the youth. Uh, My first friends at Southern Hills, the people who befriended me first, were senior adults. 
They were members of the Encourager Sunday School class. Uh, They were those people who, again, they were encouraging me. They were challenging me. Uh, They were rebuking me. Uh, They were raising me up and making me look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that process of sanctification continues in my life. I'm so thankful that I can look back on my life uh, and I see I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. I'm not the same person that I was five years ago. I'm not the same person I was uh, a month ago. Uh, Because if we're in the Word and if we're doing what the Lord has called us to do, we're constantly going to be changing. We're constantly going to be made to look more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And so uh, if the Lord wills and I live another five years, I'll be able to look back and say, I'm not the same person that I was uh, when I stood up and I spoke to my church family. And so my my testimony and my call to ministry are interwoven. They're kind of uh, integrated uh, in a lot of ways. And so uh, I knew from an early age, I sensed this call to ministry. And uh, being an independent Baptist in a small church, uh, if you're called to ministry, well, you're just called to preach. There aren't a whole lot of options. Uh, You don't get to be a youth pastor or a uh, a senior adult pastor. I mean, it's a small congregation, so most of the time you're called to preach. I never felt that calling. I never felt like I was supposed to be uh, the preacher. Uh, But the Lord, I knew, was calling me to himself, that he was calling me to serve him full time. And so when I came to Southern Hills and I came on staff and I began working with David Gibson, uh, the Lord really began to shape that and and show me what that could look like. Uh, And over the course of this last year, it's become uh, abundantly clear in my life that I'm to work with senior adults. Uh, And for me, uh, that's no surprise, that's no shock. The Lord didn't have to convince me of that uh, for very long. Uh, And for those of you who know me, uh, I think you would say the same thing. Uh, My heart and my love for senior adults, uh, it's not something that uh, I have to wake up every morning and say, Lord, give me a heart for senior adults. He's already done that. Uh, Senior adults love me, and I love them. It's a very natural relationship. Uh, and so should you give me the opportunity, uh, I do look forward to being your minister to senior adults. And so this morning's parable is about a mustard seed, something that starts out so small. And friends, please, if, if you remember from Tommy's testimony, on this side of heaven, no one may ever know the Miller's or Brother Gillum. They may never know those folks. But the point that Jesus is making through this mustard seed is that God takes something small and then does something huge with it. The man who was picking him up when he was seven years old, did that man have in his heart a dream of Tommy would be standing in front of a thousand people someday giving his testimony of how Christ saved him? He may have not dreamed that, but God saw that potential. And so Mark chapter 4, let's read our passage of scripture. Let's pray and share a few thoughts out of the word of God. And this morning... Would you open your heart to what God wants to say to you? And again, Satan so much attacks us with, well, it it doesn't make any difference what you do. That one ping pong ball, that that one commitment that you're going to make, it it doesn't make any difference. You're just fine. You stay where you are. It's not going to make any difference at all. And I pray that this morning's parable will open our mind and our hearts to what God wants to do. Mark chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 30, 
Here we go. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Now, friends, what I just read to you is Jesus's last parable that Mark records until the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. This is the last parable that Mark records him teaching before the last week of his life here on this earth. I believe that there's something that Jesus wants us to understand about the kingdom of God. He came preaching the kingdom of God. What is it that he wants us to learn this morning? Let's bow together and pray and please allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart this morning. As you are praying, I'm inviting you as Eli instructed Samuel. He said, Samuel, go lie back down and just simply say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm, I pr- I'm praying that right now that you, Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Father, I pray that it is you that they hear this morning. Lord, please remove the things that are distracting in me. Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd help my voice. Lord, I pray that the words will not be muddled. But, Father, that we would simply hear the truth of the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, move in a powerful way. I pray for the Holy Spirit to be convicting hearts. I pray, Lord, for someone to be saved. I pray for the saved to make you truly Lord of every aspect of his or her heart. Lord, I pray that you would add to us and call out from us. Lord, and call every single one of us. Lord, we're praying that we pray for more laborers in the field, that you may receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. The, the, the verse opens with a wonderful question. As a matter of fact, I titled this morning's sermon, Yet When It Is Sown, and it's because there is a question at the very beginning that really captured my heart. Jesus asked the question, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? What a great question. With what shall we compare the kingdom of God? And then look at the second part of that question. Or, or what parable? Or what parable could we use? In other words, a parable is an earthly reality. It's Jesus teaching about something on earth that points us to a heavenly truth. And so Jesus is asking, what earthly reality could we possibly think of that would help us to understand the supremacy, the majesty, and the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God? What earthly reality could there possibly be to help us understand that? Now, if you and I were in charge this morning and we put together a committee and said, well, let's let's try to think of an earthly reality that would picture the kingdom of God, we're going to start with something like, well, okay, let's start with the galaxy. 
Because if we're going to try to think of something earthly that would make us think of the kingdom of God, we're going to try to think of the absolute largest, most ginormous thing we can possibly think of to picture the kingdom of God. And yet here's what Jesus did. He said the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. He went exactly the opposite of what our minds would do. And it's because there is a great truth involved in that. And so in order for us to get in mind what these truths are, what does a grain of mustard seed look like? So turn your attention up here. That's it. And if you're thinking, wow, I kind of expected something, I don't know, a little more mustardy. All right, well, they come in different colors, so there's a little bit more mustardy. Size hasn't changed. That is a mustard seed. And then what Jesus is teaching in this parable is it goes from this to this. That's a mustard tree. From that tiny seed, the smallest of all the seeds on earth, that's what it produces. And so what truth can we understand in that? First of all, we need to understand that there is no other kingdom like it. Jesus says, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? What earthly picture could we possibly think of? Because there is no other kingdom that is ruled by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no other kingdom whose king, whose leader is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent, meaning there is no place you could ever go that our king's not there. There is no other king that is ruled by an eternal king. That means we're never going to have to elect another king. We've got our king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. That's the kingdom of God. There is no other kingdom that is ruled by a king who will love you more than anyone could ever possibly love you, who loves you with a perfect love, who loves you unconditionally, eternally, and sacrificially. That is our king. There's no other kingdom where the citizens of that kingdom have the potential and the possibility to live together in perfect harmony and unity that can only happen in the kingdom of God. There's only one kingdom where the laws are all perfect laws. There are no laws that are burdensome, but instead the laws are encouraging us to live for the king who is in charge of our kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. There is no other kingdom that has perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect love, perfect goodness, perfect mercy, except the kingdom of God. To what shall we compare it? And so there's got to be something here for us to understand. If Jesus is using the exact opposite of what we would use, if he's using a grain of mustard seed to help us to understand the kingdom of God, then here's the first thing we've got to think in our minds. First of all, this has got to be about faith. And not just any faith, it's about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, if, if, as you were reading that parable, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. And in our minds, because we have the Bible, in our minds we're thinking, wait a minute, he's mentioned the mustard seed before. He has, as far as us reading the word of God, he hasn't as far as the disciples are concerned. This is early in Jesus' ministry. 
And he says the kingdom of God's like a grain of mustard seed. It's not going to be later until later in his ministry whenever Jesus is transfigured before Peter, James, and John that we see him use the mustard seed again in a whole different way. And so take for a moment Matthew 17. And I want you to listen to what happened. Jesus was transfigured. It was the most incredible mountaintop experience anyone could ever have. Transfigured before them, his clothes dazzling, brilliant white. And while that mountaintop experience is going on down in the valley, the disciples are dealing with a boy who has epilepsy. He has a demon in him. And the disciples are trying to cast out this demon, and yet they're failing. And so Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he encounters this situation. And so Jesus then casts the demon out of that boy. And the scripture says later, in private, the disciples asked Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, because of your little faith. Now listen to what he says next. He said, because of your little faith. For if you had faith like a mustard seed. Wait a minute. He just said, because of your little faith. And then he says, if you had faith like a mustard seed. So friends, what we can learn from that is this faith is not a certain amount So many times when we think of faith like a mustard seed, we think, well, all I need to have is the tiniest amount. Jesus isn't talking about how amount, what amount of faith you have in your life. He's talking about a certain kind of faith. He's talking about a faith like a mustard seed. That inside that tiny mustard seed, there is the power for life that can produce that which only God could do. We're talking about effective faith. And effective faith is faith that is solely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not that I'm putting faith in Christ and faith in myself to save me. I can't do that. My faith has got to solely rely upon Jesus Christ. It's not faith in, well, I'm going to believe a little bit of Buddhism and I'm going to grab some aspects of Islam that I like and then I'll grab some Confucianism and then I'll put in, throw in some Christianity and all that together. Surely I can cover all my bases and one of these is going to get me to heaven. Friends, effective faith is faith that is solely in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is only in him that the power for life is embedded. Does that make sense? The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. It's not how big the faith is. It's that the faith is effective faith. It is faith only in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only in the one that the power of God, the power for life is within. And so this kingdom is about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the second thing. It's also about certainty. And so when he uses a grain of mustard seed, he's not only bringing in the whole context of faith, he's bringing in the context of certainty as well. And I want you to see where we get that. Look again. You remember, always keep your Bible open. If you need a Bible, grab one. 
There should be one in the back of the pew. Open up to Mark chapter 4. Keep it open during the sermon. If you need a Bible, take it with you. Look again at Mark chapter 4, and let's look again at where we see this certainty. Listen to verse 30. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground. Don't miss that. When sown on the ground. And the reason I want to point out that, that, uh, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That difference, uh, there was another word, Th- that uh, contrast. The reason I want to point out that contrast is because look with me at Mark 4, verse 28, Mark, or, or verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Okay, in verse 26, if the seed is scattered on the ground. Verse 30, when the seed is sown on the ground. And then look at verse 32 with me because you're going to see a repeat of it. Yet when it is sown, it grows up. Well, that's a whole different matter. The previous parable said if the seed is scattered on the ground, but now it's when it is sown, when it is sown. And friends, I want you to know that is the certainty that we're getting to experience is because the kingdom of God has been sown. Friends, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. He has already been born. God with us. He has already lived a perfect life. He has already died. He has already been buried. He has already been raised from the dead. He's already ascended to the Father. God has already sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is already at work in those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God has already been sown. And friends, that kingdom is growing. Praise the Lord, it's certainty. Every single one of the parables that we've been studying in Mark chapter 4 has pictures of certainty in it. The sower scatters the seed. And we can read that and say, well, now wait a minute though. Three of the four soils, it wasn't fruitful. But the point of the parable is you sow the seed and there is a certainty that some of that seed is going to fall on good soil and produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. The harvest is sure. You get to the parable of the lamp. It says it is sure that that which is hidden will be made manifest. That which is secret will become known. That is a certainty. The things, the truths that some, for, for some folks, they see, they, they're like, I, I, I just can't understand it. Friends, please know someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That which is hidden will be made manifest. You get to the parable of the seed growing. It is a sure thing that when the seed is in the ground, it will sprout and grow. That is a certainty. And then when you get to this morning's parable, if the kingdom of God is begun, it will flourish. It will grow. That is a certainty. And so, friends, when we think about the kingdom of God, I want you to know my future is certain. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, your future is certain. This morning is as we approach the invitation. If you're thinking, I hope that I'll be in heaven someday, 
I want you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you can know today that you will be in heaven. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. And if you're thinking, well, but, but wait a minute, I don't know if I've done enough good. Well, that's why you're not certain. Once you put your faith in the one and true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, now you can be certain I will be in heaven. Because I believe that he died for me. And I believe he rose again. And so I put my faith wholly and completely solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am certain that I'll be with him. And so here's the last thing. This whole parable is helping us also to understand that something so small and yet seemingly insignificant can grow up to be something so useful. The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet... When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So small, seemingly insignificant, becomes so useful in God's hands. And friends, isn't that, that picture embodied in the person of, the, of Christ? Because I want you to know, Jesus started out so small and seemingly insignificant. You, you are aware that the religious leaders knew about him before he was ever born. Because in, in Matthew chapter 2, it says, Herod called together all the religious leaders, all the scribes, all the teachers of the law, and inquired of them where the Messiah was supposed to be born. They were already aware of him, but he was so small and seemingly insignificant, they didn't need to pay any attention to it. You do know that they were aware of him before he began his ministry. When he was 12 years old in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, his parents are looking for him, and they find him in the temple surrounded by the teachers of the law who are amazed at what's coming out of his mouth. They were already aware of him, but again, at the age of 12, he's so small and seemingly insignificant, we don't need to bother with it. There's a wonderful pastor, and uh, he wrote years ago uh, just a, a short it's actually part of his sermon. This man's name is James Allen Francis. And it's called One Solitary Life. It says, here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompanied greatness. He had no worldly credentials. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. 
One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as has that one solitary life. You see, the kingdom of God is embodied in the very way God came among us. One solitary life. And yet now here we are on the opposite side of the globe globe, talking about him, worshiping him, calling people to him, telling people about him. As a matter of fact, I would even argue that one of his disciples embodies that. And it's the one named Andrew. Andrew's one of my favorite disciples. And not just because we have a son named Andrew. But it's because every time, with the exception of one verse, almost every time you see Andrew, he's either telling someone about Jesus or he's telling Jesus about someone. Andrew's the one who goes through the entire New Testament and folks hardly knew his name. As a matter of fact, every time John in John's gospel writes his name Andrew, he adds Simon Peter's brother. It's almost as if even among the followers, you can hear someone say one day, hey, I saw Andrew, and the other person says, which one's Andrew? And they say, Simon Peter's brother. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I know who you're talking about now. Simon Peter's brother. He was never part of the three that were closest to Jesus. He never was Peter, James, and John. And yet he's the one who told Peter about Jesus. That's Andrew. Andrew's the one that had the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes and told Jesus about the little boy. Andrew's the one who, with Philip, went to Jesus and said, hey, there are some Greeks who are wanting to see you. He was either telling someone about Jesus or telling Jesus about someone. And yet in our minds, Andrew was small, didn't play a big role. And yet, friends, I believe if we could look from the other side of heaven, what a huge role Andrew played. Brother Gillum may not ever be known among us. Dorothy, who whenever her husband couldn't pick up Tommy, she's the one who picked him up. What a small, seemingly insignificant, all I did was give him a ride to church. And yet that was God's working in that person's life and in his life. The kingdom of God, a grain of mustard seed, yet when it is sown. And so when it is sown, 
here's what happens to a seed. That seed goes down into the ground, and the way God designed the ground, it starts working on that seed. And the outer protective coat on every seed, that outer protective shell breaks down, and the embryo of life that is inside begins to sprout. And it begins to grow. And you have this plant. Now, friends, if we could go to that picture of the mustard tree that we saw up there, if we were able to dig down into the ground, would we be able to find the seed that produced that plant? It's died to itself. You see, that seed had to die to itself in order for something that could bear fruit to be produced. It is the simple picture of nature. This morning, are you ready to die? And I'm asking that in every way I can possibly ask it. Are you ready this morning to say, Lord, I am ready to die to myself as we were singing this morning. The Lord was convicting my heart of so much self-centeredness and selfishness that I have in my heart. And Lord, I need to die to that. Are you ready to die in the sense of, if this were your last day on earth, are you ready to die? Because friend, if you haven't gone into the ground, if you have not died then the life is not going to come out. But this morning, would you follow the example of Jesus Christ? He is the one who died for you and rose again, and he's calling you now to die to yourself and allow Christ to live in you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we enter into this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that someone this morning would place complete trust in only Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. Lord, I pray that this morning that Satan would not have his way in this place in any heart. But instead, Lord, I pray that someone this morning would say, I want to experience life. And so, Lord, I give up. I surrender to you. I put my faith wholly and completely in you to save me. Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. Lord, I will live for you. Father, I pray for the saved. I pray that there would be recommitted hearts this morning. That, Lord, each one of us would turn over control, complete control of our heart to you. Lord, I pray that you would call to this church family and call out that your will may be done in every heart. And thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Father, I pray that there would be commitments made this morning to pray for one person and share Christ with that one. Lord, call us. Use us for your glory. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.